Welcome to Movie Ketchup, a podcast where two friends work on reducing their movie backlog. Each episode, we serve up a double feature discussion of movies we've selected for each other to catch up on. I'm Leanne. And I'm Greg. It's Halloween season, so let's get spoopy. Today, we're talking about Beetlejuice and Diary of the Dead. All our episodes this month will feature spooky, scary, or just entirely on-theme movies in the lead-up to Halloween. But before we get into the movies, we are quickly approaching the beginning of October, and it's now officially fall since the... Is it the fall equinox? Is that the one that happens on the 21st? Sure. Yeah, sounds about right. Has come and gone. I know that we talked a little bit about maybe trying to go out and do a corn maze. There's a corn maze out where I work that is like one of the biggest ones in the Fraser Valley. And it's very cool. I used to go to a corn maze every single year. There was uh, one out in Pitt Meadows kind of close to me. And it was so nice. Every time you beat it, you could get like this postcard with like a big overhead view of the entire maze. Um, so those were really fun to collect. It was such a good corn maze. They had that, like the petting zoo that I loved. It was so fun and it was really well kept. I loved it. And then a couple years ago, I go to check on the corn maze website, see if they're open for the year. And oh, they've shut down to become a wedding location or something dumb. Uh, so mad. It's, the straights are ruining everything with their wedding locations. <laughs> Ugh. I was really, really mad about that. So I'm excited to go to one because it's been a while. We're doing our best to live our pumpkin spice fantasy this fall. Yes. I have not had anything pumpkin spice yet, but I plan to consume many a pumpkin spice thing. I'm especially excited. I know this is a little bit further down, but I want eggnog so bad already. Well, I mean, based on last year, probably by the end of this month, it'll be available. It seems available earlier and earlier every year. Yes. I want to enjoy all the fall time things. It's interesting, too, how it was like 30 degrees every day, and then all of a sudden, the minute it turned fall, it's like, oh, we're just going to rain every day now. It's like, oh, well, fall got here fast. I'm kind of liking that, though. Well, it is the nature of the area we live. It rains a lot. it's definitely getting me in the mood. Well, should we talk movies, then? Let's talk movies. So our first spooky movie for uh, this series of episodes that I asked you to watch is the 1988 movie Beetlejuice. Beetlegeist, the bio-exorcist. Troubled by the living, is death a problem and not the solution? Unhappy with eternity, having difficulty adjusting? Call Beetlegeist. Beetlegeist. That's it? There's no number or instructions? Nothing. The bio-exorcist. And this movie features Winona Ryder... The incomparable Catherine O'Hara. Congratulations to her on her first Emmy in 40 years. A true crime that she hasn't received anything before today. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, who you might remember from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and Glenn Shaddix. I would personally say Gina Davis deserves to be like at the top of the list, maybe right behind Catherine O'Hara. But yes, love Gina Davis. I didn't put this list in any order of like character importance, so it's not a slight against her well, that she's towards the be. end. <laughs> Just list all the great women in the movie, and then I guess you can put out a <laughs> on the list somewhere near the end of the list. Uh, the director of this movie is Tim Burton. 
I feel like I shouldn't have to list any of Tim Burton's movies, but given the form of our show, and Tim Burton has directed, this is a very small selection of movies he's directed. Uh, He's directed Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, the 1989 Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Big Fish, Sweeney Todd, Dark Shadows, and most recent, well, not most recent, but the most recent live-action adaptation of Disney's Dumbo. And there are three writers credited on this movie, two for story and two for screenplay. Larry Wilson is credited for writing the story, and he has written uh, The Addams Family. Uh, He wrote a number of episodes of the show Tales from the Crypt and the movie The Little Vampire. Uh, Michael McDowell is also credited as the writer for the story as well as the screenplay. He's also written for Tales from the Crypt, something called Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, He did the screenplay for The Night Before Christmas and a movie called Thinner. And Warren Skarin is credited as writer for the screenplay. He wrote the movies Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and also did the 1989 Batman. Some crossover there between other Tim Burton things, yeah. Uh, The tomato meter rating for this movie is 84% critic and 82% audience. Uh, The tagline for this movie is, In this house, if you've seen one ghost, you haven't seen them all. The premise for this movie is Barbara and Adam, a young couple from small-town Connecticut, meet an early death after an automobile accident-related drowning. Now newly dead, the couple must grapple with life after death, as well as the occupation of their former home, by another family who brings sweeping, unwanted change. Finding it difficult to evict the family by their own means, Barbara and Adam, against better advice, seek out the assistance of self-proclaimed bio-exorcist, Beetlejuice, which brings its own set of challenges. Just before we get into your initial thoughts and impressions, when I was putting my notes together for this episode, I was doing a little bit of reading on the pre-production because sometimes if somebody is listed as being the writer for the story, it might be an adaptation of something. So I was wondering if that was the case. And I was looking at the Wikipedia entry and they had a bunch of details about the uh, original script for this movie. Apparently there was quite a lot of changes between the original script and the actual movie that we watched for today. I have to say the changes are for the better. McDowell, who was the writer of the original script, the description of Beetlejuice is the character of Beetlejuice envisioned by McDowell as a winged demon who takes on the form of a short Middle Eastern man, is also intent on killing the Dietzes rather than scaring them and wanted sex from Lydia instead of wanting to marry her. Apparently he was also supposed to speak African-American vernacular English. And Sammy Davis Jr. was originally considered as a casting choice. That's just like a big ol' racist yikes from me. Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. Yeah, no, that was not great. Also, it is a Scarin's credit that the afterlife being a complex bureaucracy is a major part of the movie, which I think is really important because that's pretty much <laughs> yeah, um, sure. one of the biggest charms of the movie. Oh, for sure. So no doubt for you, given the age of this movie... Um, and its influence on pop culture. I'm sure that you're pretty familiar with a lot of the elements, but what were your sort of initial impressions watching this? So I thought I would know more about this movie, having heard references, pop culture things, et cetera, et cetera. I was not prepared for this movie as, as far as like, I did not know what I was getting into. Like 
my perception of what Beetlejuice was was not this movie. First off, Beetlejuice isn't in this movie a lot. Like, he's not a major player, really, or even a huge central focus or in a lot of scenes. He's in, like, three scenes, really. I thought Beetlejuice was running around scaring them the whole time, or I thought he was, like, a central figure, like, constantly popping up. I thought maybe he was, like, the house, he was the one in the, the house that was possessing the house or whatever. I didn't have any clue that it was about Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis dying in the first, like, 30 seconds of the movie and then being trapped in as ghosts in their house. And I thought they were, like, probably the parents of Winona Ryder, maybe even. I Like, I wasn't quite sure how that all worked from the little bit I'd seen. So this was definitely a lot different than I was anticipating. And I had a few moments where near the beginning I was like, oh, okay, so this is not what I thought at all. <laughs> it's very different than what I was expecting. Yeah, I was also surprised to be reminded how little Beetlejuice actually has in the movie. Like, he appears very early on when Barbara and Adam are trying to figure out sort of like what they're supposed to do with respect to these people that are in the house and how to sort of understand this handbook that they've been given which is written in such a way that it's not easily decipherable so he pops up and he's a very consistent thread through the whole story but in terms of his actual involvement it really takes until the latter half of the movie before he comes uh, to the fore uh as far as my overall thoughts on the movie tim burton for me is very very hit or miss and i think this is not a not a total miss for me but I think it was a little bit of a case of the hype and all the years of hearing about it, maybe just not quite living up to all that love that people have for this movie. I could definitely see why people love this movie. Like it has, it just like oozes charm and aesthetic and the effects and everything in it are so Burton-y and you can see a lot of his early influence in here. But as a movie and as a story overall, it wasn't super engaging to me. And I found myself wandering a little bit through the movie. It wasn't my favorite. Yeah, reading about the fact that the movie was supposed to be much darker and like quite a bit more graphic, I felt it was a little bit at odds with what I know about Tim Burton's sort of film style. Because while he does things that are sort of tinged with like a, a horror kind of aesthetic or like sort of a gothy kind of aesthetic. I've never really found that his movies have like a particularly sort of dark, scary bent to them. They're always sort of comedic in some way. So the, this, this finished product is much more emblematic of his actual work for me. Yeah. What were some of the things that you did like about this movie? For me, I, I really liked Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis as the leads. First off, I thought, I don't know if they hit the tone the movie wanted them to hit because they were playing it maybe not as self-aware of the camp as maybe some of the other people in this movie, like Catherine O'Hara and even Winona Ryder. Like they seem to really plug into the tone of this movie and poor Gina Davis. I don't know if she got it the whole time, but I was loving it anyways. Same with Alec Baldwin. They were really like, I don't know, so earnest and lovable and so that really helped their, like, kind of almost straight man-esque, stilted, like, married couple from the suburbs getting, like, thrust into this 
crazy over the top world of like undead bureaucracy. Everyone's like all blue and shrunken heads and skeletons and the burnt ash guy. Then when they go to the waiting room in the undead lobby and just the juxtaposition of all that, the crazy set pieces and all the amazing practical effects were really good. So while maybe, I don't know if they fit the tone as well as like maybe some of the more camp aesthetic. Like you could just imagine if um, Johnny Depp was playing Adam, Alec Baldwin's character, I think that would have obviously changed a lot about the movie. I think I saw a review on some review site, I forget which one, where somebody mentioned, like, could you imagine if this movie was made in 2020 and, like, Johnny Depp was in it? It would just be, like, an absolute train wreck of a movie. And I honestly couldn't agree more. It was based on some of the more recent things that they've done together. I think if this was filmed in 2020 period, it would be kind of a train wreck, to be fair. I think early Johnny Depp, Tim Burton collaborations fared a lot better, and this probably would have as well. I think they kind of lost control of things later on in their collaborations. I mean, I've got some other things I'd like to talk about for the good stuff, but I'm curious, you having picked this movie, and clearly having seen this probably growing up, what some of the parts you really like about this are. Uh, well, this movie ended up coming up since you very quietly admitted to me when we were out last weekend that you'd never seen it, so it just... Yeah. Seems like an appropriate thing to cross off the list. One of the main things that I like about this movie, even from when I first saw it, but especially now, is like the aesthetic in this movie is like A++++. The house decor before and after the Dietz family moves in, yeah, like the sure. very farmhouse, floral wallpaper, like everything. Love that. I love the weird avant-garde, sort of like new, well, not new agey, but like, very interesting um modern yeah sort of modern um design aesthetic that delia goes with everything about the way Catherine o'hara looks i was i, I made a note that yeah. uh, delia uh deets is a bit of a proto moira rose for me in terms of character and in terms oh, of yeah. like how she looks and acts and everything so just an interesting through line I've, in I've Catherine's seen Catherine career O'Hara in other things, obviously, but this is that one role where it's like very obviously a through line to Moira Rose yeah. here. I even had a note down that like Delia's redecorating of the house with help from Otho, who was I also really liked Otho. What a weird character! Uh, her uh, designer slash spiritual advisor, whatever. Their redecorating of the house kind of still would hold up it was awesome i liked it like that was that would be a 2020 like rich fancy person's house still like that kind of design aesthetic kind of would probably hold up like it was very minimalist modern yeah i I wouldn't like it for me but i was it's kind of my style like i was into it i liked that it was still colorful uh but muted at the same time with how like wasn't i don't know it's very interesting I liked the outside of the house a lot, too, with all the weird angular bits they added. Very geometrical, which makes sense because she's a sculptor. So everything was very geometric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara was a main selling point on this movie for me. And definitely one of the reasons that my maybe wandering gaze from this movie was always brought back as soon as Catherine O'Hara was on screen. Her outfits, her amazing nailing of every comedy beat... Like, she gets camp. Like, this movie is very campy. And she got what movie she was in right away and delivered. And same with Winona Ryder, who 
let's talk about through lines. Like you can definitely see why she was sought after for Heather's after seeing this. Like there's a through line there too. And Winona Ryder's was really, was really great. I loved her aesthetic too. Uh, her giant black floppy sun hat she wears and like the veil, everything's black. She's got the short choppy bangs, uh, just the way she glowers through life. She got what she was into. Very Wednesday Adam-esque. Yes, absolutely. I think everybody in this movie did a really good job with the balance of comedy. I really liked the very uh, stark juxtaposition between Delia and her husband, whose name I don't know. I don't think it ever really comes up at all. Charles? No. Yes, Charles. Yeah. Yes, Charles. So he's just, he's moved to the family to Connecticut because he just wants to get away from the city and relax. And he can't relax because Delia is all, she's the kind of person who's always working, who always needs to be doing something creative. So no sooner do they arrive at the house than they're, you know, knocking down walls and she's putting paint on the wall for what color that it's going to be. She's already designing. So just their whole dynamic through the whole movie is really great. I also really liked Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. I think he did a really good job balancing sort of like the gross inappropriate elements of the character's personality with the humorous presentation. I think that in the wrong hands, Beetlejuice as a character would be something that would be a real detriment to this movie and something that you could really dislike quite a lot. Yeah, he was a real detriment to my enjoyment of the movie. (laughs) Uh... Yeah, that's a lot of my uh, my not-so-great points about this movie tie into Beetlejuice as a character. It, I could see, it was almost on the cusp of working for me. I wrote down, like, he's kind of just like a shitty, less funny version of the genie in Aladdin. Not that I super love the genie either in Aladdin. I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to Beetlejuice for me. I mean, whether or not you like him as a character, I just think that the way that Michael Ah. Keaton handled him was well done. And I think that, well, okay, yeah, we'll we'll get into it in more detail. One of the other things that I really loved about this movie is that, you know, it has a happy ending. It's an ending that involves the ghosts and the living people being able to find an equilibrium. Basically, Adam and Barbara become like surrogate parents for Lydia they're tutoring her with school and they're rewarding her when she does well. And Moira is like doing well in her art. You can see in one shot towards the end, she's like featured on the front of some major art publication. Um, the type of art that she's making. <laughs> you called Delia Moira. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Delia. Yeah, I, I really like the ending too. It's uh it was really cute. And that's one thing I actually knew is I'd seen images from the, um, with Winona Ryder, like floating in the air singing. Yeah. That's an iconic scene. It's uh, jump in the line. Jump in the Harry line, Belafonte yes. is the artist that's yeah. featured throughout the movie. I really liked that that music was used because it is kind of really at odds with sort of the content of the movie. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, because the movie is so campy, it also definitely plays into that. That scene at, during the dinner party oh, where everybody so is good. doing um, trying Deo to scare is... them off. They have a dinner party with all their friends and Adam and Barbara take it as a chance to scare them all away and they possess them and make them do this like real fun musical number and they're all like 
super into it. And they're like, oh my God, we want to come back for more. We love your ghosts. Your ghosts are great. When can we get possessed again? (laughs) It was pretty funny. Yeah, everything about the way that Barbara and Adam try to get rid of the Dietzes <sighs> yeah. speaks so much to their personalities, like using that, using that particular song. And also when they, you know, make changes to their face where, you know, Adam's face is all pulled out and he's removed his eyes and they're on his yeah. fingertips. And even Barbara, like, just like craning her mouth open. It's like, neither of those things are particularly scary, although they could be scary to a particular person. Yeah. But just their whole approach is very interesting. I love when they're one of the first times when they like throw their the sheets over their head and cut eye whole eyes eyes for holes or whatnot, and are trying to just do the classic sheet over you. I'm a ghost, spooky, spooky, and <laughs> Lydia's like, you're not going to scare anyone like that. <laughs> they were they were very endearing, uh, Adam and Barbara. I I'm still not 100 percent sure if they like really knew what movie they were in, but I think it worked because of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like it when people like don't respond to the horror in the anticipated way where it's like just very flat response. It's always good. One thing to note, I really like that uh, Gina Davis's character's name is Barbara and they bring up uh, night of the living dead. I think Adam brings it up at one point. Uh, And that's the very famous scene at the beginning of night of the living dead where, um, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Love that movie. I uh, wanted to add it on one of our horror uh, lists today or for this month, but sadly it didn't make it. I chose Diary of the Dead instead, which I think you should watch all of them, but we'll, we'll get back to it. Just It was a nice callback. I love when there's little throwbacks. There was a few things like that in here. Yeah, there are def- definitely subtle references to other things. I think the sandworms, that's a reference to Dune which I know you're not familiar with, but that's a major part of Dune is the sandworms and the danger that they pose. I know there's sandworms and they poop and poop is good or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what were some other high points for you? I, like you said, I really liked all the, the stuff and the mythology and the lore around being dead in this whole universe where they're dead. Like the uh, Jane, I think is her name there. Um, their caseworker. Who's this old curmudgeon lady. Who's like, in charge of their their case as dead people and every time they go to her she's not helping them very much and it's all just so bureaucratic and some of the designs they come up with like the one guy who's like been flattened by a tire and he's like attached to a string to like go up and down and like there's just so much creativity there and i love the juxtaposition of like how being dead seems like so much work like (laughs) all the stuff they have to go through with reading the handbook and like Pick, like they pick a number in line at the the receptionist's office and it's like number five million nine thousand blah 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 like all of it was really clever juxtaposition and so much creativity went behind all that loved all that stuff yeah when they are sitting in the waiting room and it's about five minutes of movie time for us and then we find out that three months has passed yeah and the whole house has been redone in those three months yeah so we get that big reveal was there anything else that stood out to you? I mean, that's that's mostly everything I've got down for the uh, the good part. Okay, well, let's move on to things that you didn't like about the movie. Then, um, I guess we'll start with Beetlejuice. Yeah, let's let's start with Beetlejuice. For me, I wrote down that Beetlejuice kind of distracted me from all the stuff I liked about the movie, and I didn't think he was 
really, I thought he was the weakest part, honestly. He didn't add too much to the main conflict of the movie, which is the whole, like, you've got Adam and Barbara, the dead couple, versus the new family that's moved in. And I thought you had enough there with all the bureaucracy and them being bad at scaring them and Lydia being the only one that can see them. And even, like, playing up maybe Otho as more of the villain who's, like, and some of the other of their friends that you had come in. Like, I thought there was a lot of good conflict there and a lot of good stuff to mine there. We could have spent more time with these fun characters. And really, Beetlejuice, like, we have one scene where we see just his hands and he's, like, reading the paper of, like, all the people who've, di- who've died recently, which I thought was funny, where he's like, oh, let's see what work there is today. And he goes to the, instead of the classifieds, it's the obituary page. That was cute. But, like, we get that scene of him, and then we're told a couple times, like, oh, don't call Beetlejuice. And then Barbara goes, Beetlejuice, 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 because they're sick and tired and want these people out of their house. There's this weird scene where he's just, like, fondling Barbara the entire time and, like, poking up her skirt with a stick and, like, oh, are you willing to share her to Adam and all this weird stuff? And it was just like, whoa, okay, Beetlejuice is coming at an 11 to us and there's some stuff in there that i could see like he's spouting off all these quick witty references similar to style to like the genie he's got all these crazy physicality to him his look is pretty interesting like there was some stuff there but he just came off so out of the gate pervy and just like kind of didn't do much after that like they go home, 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 or whatever she says, and they go out of Beetlejuice's little lair, which is built inside the the graveyard in their model of the whole town they've built. And Beetlejuice is just kind of hanging out in their graveyard for some reason. I don't think I caught why. And then he's just not there until kind of the climax of the movie, where Lydia goes and says, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And then he wants to marry her, and it's kind of weird. And, and then they defeat him, and he goes away. And... I thought it was kind of anticlimactic how he's about to marry her and, you know, and then Gina Davis just rides in on a sandworm and eats him and then he's gone. And I don't know. I thought all the plotting around Beetlejuice was kind of weak for a movie called Beetlejuice. And for me, they really needed to have more mythos or lore about Beetlejuice in there. Why it's so important you say his name three times, where he came from, building him up as more of like a like a villain in like the pantheon of villains, right? Of like these spooky characters. And there just wasn't much of him apart from he's just kind of pervy and weird. And that didn't add a lot to me when I was way more interested in what the other characters were doing. And every time Beetlejuice comes along, it's kind of like, ugh, okay, we'll deal with Beetlejuice for a while and then we can get back to what everyone else is doing. I think part of that comes from the rewriting of the original script. So there's like a lot of elements that were probably residual, like the perviness, which, if you remember, you know, the description yeah. that I gave you at the top of this would have been Seems so like much worse. Yeah, it's still a lot in there. But, yeah, I think just because his overall role in the movie was relatively small, like the few places where that came up, it was like, okay, fine, like that's his character. And it wasn't like a major part of the movie. So I was... It was easier for me to be like, okay, fine. Also, uh, with respect to their little graveyard, he was just constantly trying to position himself in such a way that they would eventually require his services. So basically, like, moving into the model of the town and, like, being right in their space. 
gave him easy access. I did like all of like the ways that he tried to sell himself, you know, like the TV turns on and there's this weird ad. And I like the fact that he can't tell you what his name is. You kind of have to like figure it out on your own. Like when he's basically playing charades with Lydia and he tells them in the ad what his name is. Every other time we've seen it before then it's just, he's clearly staining his name the entire time until it gets to Lydia at the end. And then it's like, all of a sudden I can't tell you my name. I was a little confused on that. Yeah, that might, again, that might be just some residual inconsistency from script revision. I didn't notice that. um, I could definitely see a version of this movie where Beetlejuice is scarier if the movie was a darker tone, more of a threat. And if he had very established lore, you know, I'm thinking like a Bloody Mary type thing or something, right? Where if from the start... I mean, we, we kind of got a little bit of it with Jane's, like, oh, don't say his name three times kind of thing. But I was just a little unclear on him, partially maybe because I just didn't care very much about him to pay too much attention. I was just really interested in everything else in the movie. And so that was kind of just taking me out of it. And I don't, I don't even know how I feel about Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. Like, I like Michael Keaton, but... That's also fair. Like I said, I, I think that he did a pretty good job with the character, all things considered. He he wasn't bad for me as Beetlejuice. It's just probably a lot of it is just tied up into not loving the character. And it's just one of those also 2020 yikes moments where it's like, okay, you just took a stick to like lift up her skirt under it. And it's played as a comedy beat and like, you know, this is never fun, Mm -hmm. but I get it. This is 1988 and it's Tim Burton. (laughs) There's probably drugs involved in making this movie. So, you know. Maybe not Stephen King levels of drugs, but at least they, uh, this isn't the book It where they all have to go down. Yeah, no, we're not talking about It. It's not that level of cocaine fueled. What were or was something else that didn't really work for you in this movie? Uh, I think for me, a lot of it is just, like I said, tied down to how I think it's maybe a case of early Tim Burton issues that come up later on where it's he has so many ideas and wants to do all the things um and it kind of just gets all over the place like he has all these ideas for all there's like all these really cool set pieces we go to like going into inside the um their miniature town they've created where they get shrunk down and go in there and they have to like dig up the grave which includes like digging up fake turf and like corkboard and stuff as they're digging up like a model grave when they're really tiny they all the places they go to in inside the reception's office in this like whole other worldly realm. Like they, they even pass by a door of like lost souls. And someone explains like, Oh, well if a ghost gets exercised, that's where they end up. And I was thinking that was like a Chekhov's gun where someone's going to threaten to exercise them. That never happens. Maybe in another version of the script, because it's very blatantly set up where it's like, what's this door? Old man walks up behind them. Well, that door does this that's a bad thing. And then they keep going on and it's just never brought up again. There's a lot of ideas in here. The whole weird sandworm realm where like they step outside their door and they're in a weird otherworldly desert with weird striped sandworms. There's a lot going on, but we kind of whiplash between a lot of these scenes without very concrete plotting and writing to kind of naturally get us between them. Like, there's not a lot of progression of plot beyond, we're dead, we're in this house, before we even really try anything, 
we're just going to stumble into the realm of the dead and like ask questions and stuff. I thought it personally, like it would have been nice to have them a little bit of time of them trying to spook them themselves without being told all this stuff first, because they don't even read the full book first. They just kind of wake up there. They have a book, like everything you need to know about being dead. And they don't even really, they try, I think once to scare the people and then they kind of give up and like, it was a lot. I think that was my problem is that, it just felt very unfocused to me where the visuals and everything else was great, but there wasn't a lot tying it all together in a really concrete way. Fair enough. Uh, with respect to the lost souls, there was an earlier version of the script where Adam and Barbara and the Dietzes and Otho conduct an exorcism ritual to destroy Beetlejuice. That so that's probably what that was supposed to point to. And then they decided to change the ending for whatever reason. I also thought it would have maybe been a little nicer I go back and forth on some of these ideas, but like maybe a little bit longer with Barbara and Adam before they died, even setting up a little bit more of them as characters when they're alive. Because I think the other big thing that I was lacking was Adam and Barbara. I don't know too much about them because they get thrust into the situation and they spend the whole movie trying to reclaim their house. But I don't really know a lot of their motivations behind like, well, we're stuck here and this is our house and let's try and get rid of them. They're kind of annoying. I don't know. It was a little fuzzy. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, they're on, Yeah, they're having a vacation or they're on holiday or something. And I guess they're having a staycation or whatever. And we don't really get anything from that, but we know that they're selling their house, but we don't know why. I thought and they didn't want to sell their house. And that she's always pestering them to sell their house. Oh, yeah, that's probably right. I did think that the accident they have was kind of hilarious, where they swerve to avoid hitting a dog. They're going across this covered bridge. The bridge is like, I don't know, maybe 10 feet above this little creek that goes beneath it. And they're just hanging half outside the covered bridge. And the dog is like standing on this one plank of wood, holding the car levered up. And then it hops off and they like fall into it. And I was expecting the fall to be more than that. And I guess, I don't know, you know a lot about like the physics of vehicle accidents or anything. But given the relatively short distance that they fell, that like it would have been possible for them to survive. But I guess it was deeper than we thought because they died from drowning. So yeah, I fully didn't expect them to just die. I was a little unclear on that. They wake up and then they're clearly ghosts at that point. It's like, oh, they died, I guess, from that very small fall into the water. Okay. But, you know, it was, like you said, I didn't hate it, actually. It's kind of funny. I even kind of wish that we had gotten more from, like, the little town that they live in. Like, I like yeah. the little bits that we did where they make their little trip in, and it's the kind of place where... Adam is familiar enough with the guy that owns the store that he goes into. He's like sitting outside, like thinking that Adam is listening to him while he's just telling a yarn and he's able to like open the drawer and like pay for his stuff and then just run back out. Like it's that kind of town, basically the kind of town that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. I would have liked more from their nosy neighbor slash real estate agent. He's Jane Butterfield. I think Jane is supposed to be like either... Uh, Barbara's sister or like they're related in some way. Yeah. I was thinking like I had written down like, okay, they died and somehow their like neighbor just like is is selling their house now. And like, do do they, neither of them have family? Is the house not going to anyone else? Like I was very confused with the logistics of 
Are they both, like, no relations left on Earth? Do they not have wills? Like, yeah. there was a lot of that kind of questions running through my mind. Yeah, I had the same question about whether or not they had a will or anything, because I don't know a lot about how, like, property stuff works down in the States. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's definitely a process. It doesn't just get, boom, sold as soon as somebody drops dead. Yeah. So. I think it was two months, but yeah. I also had some questions as far as, like, the movie with Jane opening with Jane going up to them and saying, oh, this house is really big. You should sell it to some people who have children because this house is just too big for just two people. Unless you guys are thinking about having children, wink, wink. And it's like clear that they don't want children. At least that's what I got from the movie. And I thought it would have been interesting angle for them to like be not open at all to Lydia when she gets there because like Lydia's a child and like they're not child people. And then by the end of the movie, they've really grown attached to Lydia. And now they're like surrogate parents to her. I think it's more that they were having trouble having children because there is a moment where Adam says, we can try again, like when we get home. So I think they're just having difficulty getting pregnant. They are very warm towards Lydia throughout and they really do become surrogate parents to her. Yeah. Yeah. Like right away, Barbara's like, oh, I like Lydia. She's nice. So that would have been a more interesting through line too, if like the children angle was played up a little bit more too. I I like how it ends with them basically kind of like adopting Lydia because both the parents don't seem to give a shit, (laughs) which is... Yeah. But like you said, there's already a lot going on in this movie to sort of pay attention to everything would have made this movie completely... That's very Tim Burton. Tim Burton is so wrapped up in like, let's get a cool practical effect in here. Oh, we can have this cool set piece here. And like, there was a lot of playing around with early VFX in this movie... And there's just so much of that going on that it felt like Tim Burton kind of just went, well, they're ghosts and there's cool things they're doing and they haunt people and Beetlejuice is fun and that's all we need. And there wasn't like Mm -hmm. a lot of connective tissue between all of that, which sometimes you don't super need. Like, I didn't think he needed too much connective tissue more in this movie for it to work for me. Like kind of just jumping around between these big set pieces was fun, but a little bit more motivation even from... Adam and Barbara or something, you know, it's just little things, really. I've definitely seen way worse and way more bonkers Tim Burton movies than yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, was there anything else that you didn't like about this movie that you wanted to touch on? No, I think I basically touched on everything. Like, my, my big issues were just the pacing and Beetlejuice. I personally found that the pacing was okay, but I agree that there were some places where, like, there needed to be more development. But in terms of, I mean, the movie is an hour and a half long, which as we've mentioned many times, you know, really an ideal movie length for a lot of things. So I felt like it kind of moved along really well, but there are definitely places where you wanted more information about that thing and not necessarily about that thing. Yeah. I know there's lots of other Beetlejuice media out there since there wasn't there like a TV show and all that too. Yeah. There's an animated series, which I remember as being quite good, but whether or not my memory is correct is another thing altogether. Uh, I, was, I remember that Lydia was really good in the, the animated series. I was definitely thinking, like, this. there's a lot there as far as the world building and the lore that I would be interested in other properties set in the same world as Beetlejuice. And I would be interested in following up on that kind of thing. As far as, like, a setup that definitely got me interested in the world and I would seek out potentially other Beetlejuice things. Don't know if this is now going to be a halloween classic i go back to every year like certain other things 
Probably not. I think one time is good. I'm glad I watched it because now I actually understand what the hell this is about. <laughs> but I think once is good for me. Yeah, I, Beetlejuice, by and large, is not a movie where I'm constantly like, man, I really want to watch Beetlejuice. Like, if it's on or somebody suggests watching it, I won't say no because it's an entertaining watch. But yeah. it's not a movie where I'm just like randomly having feelings where, man, I really want to watch Beetlejuice or whatever. So where would you put this on our ketchup scale? Perfect as is, could use ketchup or douse it. Yeah, I think it it's solidly a uh, uh, could use ketchup movie for me. There's a lot of redeeming qualities there. I can see why it's like a big cult classic for a lot of people. Like just the imagery and everything else alone. If I saw this growing up, like that kind of stuff would have stuck with me. But on a fundamental level, there was a bunch of things I would probably change about it. I think despite some of the things that you mentioned, I'm going to say this movie is perfect as is. It's pretty enjoyable watch and it stands on its own. So my pick for you this week was Diary of the Dead. Marie Reno reporting live from Homestead, where tragedy befell an immigrant family. An unidentified man has shot his wife and 16-year-old son to death before turning the gun on himself. Jesus. What? I don't believe this. What? Is there something with the camera? Just fix it. She's still moving. Oh, for Christ's sake, Brody. I'm right in the middle of a... What? Jesus fucking Christ. God's sake. I thought they were dead. They're supposed to be. They are. I don't know. She's moving on the freaking gurney, man. This is a 2007 movie written and directed by George A. Romero, who unfortunately passed away about three years ago now. I love George Romero. He's done the entire of the Living Dead series, starting with Night of the Living Dead in 1968, which invented the modern zombie. It is the sole invention of kind of what we think of as zombies today, as well as all its sequels, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, this one being Diary of the Dead, and then his last one in 20, uh, 2009 was Survival of the Dead. So a franchise spanning from the late 60s all the way to the late 2000s, that's a pretty big legacy. He's done a lot of other horror movies as well. So this movie stars uh, mostly unknowns, as a lot of people like to say, all of Romero's best ones are cast with unknowns, and the ones with a bunch of name actors in them tend to be a little worse. So Joshua Close is Jason, our point-of-view character, you could say, behind the camera. Uh, Michelle Morgan as Deborah, Amy Lalande as Tracy, Scott Wentworth as the Professor, uh, as well as many others. Those are some of the, the ones that stuck out to me. And then a shout out to our girl Tatiana Maslany as Mary, even if she, uh, spoiler alert, dies first and is not in the movie very long. Yeah, as soon <laughs> as she was on screen, her. I made a note going, is Tatiana Maslany in this? Because at first I wasn't sure, but then then I was sure. This is the first thing I'd seen her in, so and I don't think I'd seen this movie since watching Orphan Black. So I did not make that connection until this time. We also have Alan Van Sprang in this, who shows up for half a second as a douchebag army guy who steals from them, and interestingly enough, is the main character in the next movie in this franchise, Survival of the Dead, which intersects with this one. He's better known as Valentine from the Shadowhunters TV show, which I know you don't watch, 
He's also in many other things, but uh, I kind of know him as Valentine <laughs> from the terrible show I watch. He definitely was familiar to me, but I couldn't tell you why. Uh, looking at his IMDb, yeah, there was lots of things you'd know him from. I didn't write too many of them down, though. Uh, so this movie has a 62% critic score on the tomato meter and a 41% audience score. Wow. Yep. Uh, I was surprised that uh, I kind of thought it might be a little reverse there. Not too far off what I thought, to be honest. Uh, the tagline for this is, where will you be when the end begins? So kind of the premise here is while working on a student horror film in the forest at night, a group of students from the University of Pittsburgh and the professor learn the dead are rising. Finding themselves in the middle of a sudden zombie outbreak, Jason, the director of the student film, takes it upon himself to record the outbreak and give a fresh point of view of everything as it's happening. While some of the group split off for a fortified country home, the rest go to get Jason's girlfriend, Deb, and drive their RV across country to kind of try and find their loved ones and get to safety. But Jason needs to film the whole thing. And this causes a lot of friction with the group, especially with his girlfriend, Deb, as the reality of the outbreak descends upon the group and the zombie threat becomes much more real and worse than any of them at first imagined. So I picked this one for you because I knew I wanted to get a a George Romero zombie movie on here. And I had a hard time picking, honestly. They all widely vary in quality and tone. Some of them are bonkers campy. Like the next one, Survival of the Dead, is weird. There's zombies riding horses, and it's weird. And then there's some that are he's been given more of a budget for, like the one previous to this, Land of the Dead, which has a bunch more famous people in it, but it's not great. Kind of fun, though. And then there's, like, the classic ones, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. I settled with this one, Diary of the Dead, because it was a very interesting movie to me, with the whole thing being shot on, like, hand cams, uh, shaky cam footage style. And it was, uh, I remember really, really finding it interesting and having a lot to say at the time, which we'll get into. Yeah, so that was kind of my choice for you. What were your uh, initial thoughts on this one? First of all, I'm really surprised at both the critic and audience score for this movie. They're surprisingly low. Yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed it. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge that this movie moves really well. George Romero does not really waste any of the screen time for this movie in terms of moving the story forward. So again, this movie is also about an hour and a half. I remember when I was watching this um, last night when I was just checking how much of runtime there was left, I was surprised to see that almost an entire hour of the movie had already elapsed. So that was good. I also really liked right from the get-go that we're told that this is a movie about the truth of what's happened, but that Deb who's editing the movie acknowledges that she's, you know, included music and stuff like that to like try to scare you. I've added music occasionally for effect. (laughs) Yeah. So it it really, kind of creates a bit of like an unreliable narrator element to it because you know once you start to edit the footage you get to decide what kind of story you're telling so what what is the truth actually Mm -hmm. so i thought that was a really good way to frame the story right from the outset yeah there's a lot of talk of the truth and point of view and all that kind of stuff in this movie this was a very interesting time for a zombie movie to come out 2007 right at like the dawn of like the youtube era 
like early YouTube, early video streaming, when we have access to share footage, like even people having cameras on cell phones and things like that, right? Like this is the dawn of like the age of, of the internet, of the modern internet, and of everyone constantly being recording things and posting things, which zombie movies for me are best when they're really pointing a lens on problems with humanity or or society. Like that's when zombie movies are really best and when Romero is his best. Like his first movie, which you will have to get you to watch off uh off camera or off recording. Night of the Living Dead is all about race relations in the 60s, and it's very interesting. And this gave me kind of vibes of that, where it's like, how do we know if the media is going to tell us the truth in an event like this, right? Like, the media, it's like they they can twist things. All the media is starting to get bought up by like these same companies, and, and there's just a lot of interesting messaging here around that. So I appreciate that. Not to get too real, but I made a lot of notes about how the events in this movie kind of not directly paralleled, but reminded me a lot about what's going on down in the United States right now yes. with respect to like COVID-19. With, yeah. With the, the way that the initial outbreak was like being suppressed and downplaying yeah. the severity oh, of it. And I didn't even think about the COVID outbreak yeah, situation. Just like all of the, the media spin about what's going on every time yeah. they're watching the news. So I made quite a few notes about what's going on. I mean, some of the stuff that you hear either on the news or on the radio had a lot of parallels also to border related xenophobia. You know, the yeah. first people that we meet, I think are some sort of Asian immigrant. They're just referred to as immigrants, but that's what they, they look like in the, the early scene. I'm not sure exactly. And so yeah. that also parallels what's going on right now with, you know, the, yeah. uh, the xenophobia and the, outright racism towards Chinese people, but sort of Asian people at large with uh, coronavirus. So it was just a lot of interesting things that paralleled what's happening right now. And it was a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable in some ways. I I definitely think it was a deliberate choice to open the movie with a bunch of, I forget exactly where they're from, but yeah, like you said, immigrants. um, They just say immigrants. It's never really clarified where they're from. They're the first zombies we see. What happens is the movie opens with this kind of like, not found footage, but essentially there's some news footage that didn't air that the cameraman then like illegally uploaded to the internet to actually share the truth of what really happened because they suppressed the footage that uh, of these immigrants that died. Um, um, the husband apparently has shot his wife and child and then himself, and they're covering this on the news, and then the three of them come back to life and eat the hospital workers and the reporter and uh, the cameraman survives and uploads this footage where Deb and Jason eventually find it and then put it as part of this film. But like that was very deliberate, obviously. Yeah, and they see the same footage later on in the movie and it's clearly been doctored from the original original footage. I really appreciated Tony's initial skepticism about what was going on. Just like at first, you know, he wasn't willing to believe that people were like coming back from being dead. But I think kind of by the time we got to the point where I was like literally witnessing somebody who was very clearly dead, like coming back to life that like yeah i probably would have abandoned my skepticism and it seemed like it took a really long time for him him to get there but having a person who wasn't immediately like jumping to the zombie conclusion was kind of refreshing i like people having realistic responses to things in these types of movies 
Yeah. All the initial outbreak stuff I thought was really engaging. Having Jason filming them all from the beginning, the very moment they hear on the news that there's a zombie outbreak and catching everyone's initial reactions. And then when they all hop in the van and they're heading over to to get Deb and he decides to point at them one by one and ask them their name, where they're from and where they're going, essentially. And none of them want to cooperate at first. It's not really set in. Jason seems to be the only one that's like, I need to document this because this is all real. This is happening. And everyone else is trying to deflect. They're really not wanting to to do it. And it's interesting seeing everyone slowly kind of shift over time. And Jason capturing all of this. This kind of brings us to the moment where uh, they encounter, I think, some of their first zombies. Yeah, no, their very first zombie that they encounter. Um, there's like a wrecked van on the side of the road on fire. And they slow down as they pull up to it. And this guy who's like on fire clearly a zombie, but they're not sure yet. It's like wobbling over to their van and uh, Mary, who's Tatiana's Maslani's character, like runs the guy over in panic and then runs over a couple other people in full panic mode, all zombies clearly. And it is so traumatic for her and she just can't handle it. And she's the first to go because she walks off into a field when they stop the RV after this to kind of catch their breath and shoots herself. And it's like, like the catalyst for like everything in this movie, like just got real. And then they rush to the hospital and she's like still not quite dead yet. And it's, it just really starts like you were saying before with the pacing, like it kicks into drive at that point. I also like through all this at first, even though Jason is the one behind the camera and filming and ostensibly our main character, I guess in that way, he is a giant prick. Like he's clearly not reading the room (laughs) after Mary, like runs over a bunch of people that, may or may not be zombies and she's like conflicted about it he like points the camera at her and goes you just murdered someone mary how's that make you feel <laughs> it's just like whoa jason she's like not great jason like <laughs> yeah deb the whole time is just like jason fuck off <laughs> like she is not having it i love deb i'm just gonna put that out there I think she's such a strong choice to have, like, narrating the whole thing. And clearly from the beginning, we know Jason's not going to make it. Deb is the one editing this movie and doing all the voiceover. And it's clear that this is Jason's movie, so something has happened to him. I just want to talk about Jason for a quick moment because I found it very interesting throughout the entire movie that we almost never see his face on camera. Yeah. Even when he's not obscured by the camera, like when they acquire a secondary camera, and so we're getting footage from yeah. more than one angle. Immediately, Deb points the camera at him, but even then, he's kind of shadowy and yeah. so can't see When him. he's not obscured by a camera, his face is either like cast in shadow, or he's looking at his reflection and it's distorted in some way, and it isn't until yeah. we get that shot of him right at the end, uh, which is very interesting, because at the very end when... Deb it has to shoot him because he's been bitten um, that we get like an actual straight on shot of him and also I really liked the way that the gun and the camera in terms of like like a weaponary kind of thing you know like you can shoot with a gun and you can shoot the, with the camera the wordplay of shoot yeah. yeah yeah so when at the end it was you know, a little heavy handed some places I'm not gonna lie but I did appreciate yeah. it yeah and I mean at the end you know in that last scene where we're getting to actually see Jason sort of full on for kind of the first time you know he's lying there bleeding and he says to Deb you know shoot me and he hands her the camera yeah. 
and you know she's filming while she yeah. you know shoots her boyfriend in the head because he's going to become a zombo. Yeah, he's real psychotic, honestly. Even the one point where like towards the end of the movie, like he is so dead on fi- on filming this whole thing. There's moments like when they're at the hospital trying to treat Mary who has shot herself and they're all in the hospital and there's no one there, which side note, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, Leanne's going to hate that we're in a hospital with no staff anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it's a thing that, right. It's another empty hospital doing around. I guess at least it made more sense in this case. I mean, although I did think there would be hundreds of zombies in that hospital. With respect to the hospital, my issue is that, by this point in the movie, like less than 12 hours has passed since this outbreak happened. And so it seems truly bizarre to me that this hospital is just completely empty. Like it, I know that they, one doctor, one nurse and a bitten patient. That's it. I mean, we can assume that there are a couple of other people because they obviously encounter some people while they're in the hospital, but otherwise there's like nobody there. It's when we're watching things where like the hospital is functioning normally and there's like two people working there. Uh, But what I was trying to say about the hospital anyways, was that Jason, when Mary's dying and they're all like, we need to go find some help. And Jason's like, oh shit, no, my battery's low. I'm just going to stand here and charge with like dying Mary in this wheelchair right next to me. And Deb's like, what are you talking about? Let's go get help. And he's like, no, got to stay here in charge. Or like later on when Tracy, who I also love, is being chased by a zombie and dying, and Jason's not even helping. He's just filming her getting chased by a zombie, and she's screaming at him like, Jason, help me! And he's just filming the whole thing, which was a great scene also, because it was a whole callback to the beginning, because the movie opens with their friend... Is it Ridley? Yeah, yeah. Ridley, he's the zo- he's a mummy in their their uh, student horror movie they're filming. And Tracy is like the the damsel in distress running through the woods away from this mummy. And then at the end of the movie, Ridley is an actual zombie, still dressed as a mummy, chasing Tracy through the woods, but for real this time. It was a real Yeah, I made parallel. a note about that scene and the, the very good book ending of it. Yeah, but oh my god, Jason is such a psychotic prick. Yeah, even when he starts yelling cut to distract Ridley and yeah. um, Tracy is like, this isn't a fucking movie. Like, yeah, and he's like, I'm just trying to distract him. Like, you could literally do anything else yeah. to actually be useful. But ultimately, it works out and he's able to draw attention. But like, Jesus Christ. I'm um, just going back to the camera bit. I made a note that even the view out of the back of the RV through that back window resembled the framing of a camera lens. So sort of like at every point of view in this movie, even if it's not actually being shot through the camera, does yeah. have sort of that element of being film captured in some way, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. I like Deb's line, uh, if it didn't happen on camera, it's like it didn't happen, right? That feels very timely because yeah. the way that we are always like taking pictures of things for like Instagram yeah. or whatever, um, and it kind of has this, a similar feel, you know, if, if it's not, a picture that you can show to people like didn't happen. I mean, we even have shorthand yeah. for it. Pixar didn't happen. Right. But it's also interesting because like every time in this movie, there is a cut. It is true. That, like we don't see what happens in those moments. Yeah. And there is that kind of like almost truth to that, where it's like every time the battery dies or Deb forces him to turn the camera off or something, we lose these little moments. So it was yeah. very interesting how even by the end of the movie, Deb has like seemingly kind of come around to his side. 
although maybe in less of a true neutral, chaotic neutral point of view, and it's more like a neutral good point of view. Just as a small thing, I really liked Samuel, the Amish man who helps them out. Oh, I was going to mention. Yes. A few things that I liked about him. I liked that he was deaf. So it was nice to have that little bit of like disability representation in this movie. You know, he was deaf, but he could read lips and he communicated with a chalkboard around his neck. I loved that he like throws a stick of dynamite and like blows up all these zombies. And then he like turns around and he's like, I'm Samuel. Like the introduction comes after this weird scene. Maybe all of cinema where they just pull (laughs) up and there's like this deaf Amish guy and they're like trying to communicate with him. And all of a sudden zombies show up and Samuel just runs to his barn, grabs a stick of dynamite, just hucks it at these zombies. They explode into chunks. And then he quickly jots down, hi, my name's Samuel, and just like beams at them. Like, unfazed. (laughs) He was great. He was such a badass. So helpful. He like lets them all into his uh, barn and is helping them all. And then unfortunately, like he does get grabbed by a zombie right as they fix the RV and are about to pull out. But rather than just be mauled by the zombie, he takes his giant-ass scythe and goes through his own head into the zombie behind him, pinning them both together and killing them both. It was kind of badass. I kind of wish that he had been able to go with them, but at the same time, I know that it wouldn't have made sense narratively for him to do so. I was shocked that we didn't kill more of them quicker, because like we have the bulk of these characters through the whole movie, which I was actually kind of glad about. My big thing in a lot of these movies is so many of them die so quickly before we even really get to know anyone or, like, grow attached to anyone. So it was kind of nice that, like, we get to know a lot about Tracy, who could just come off as, like, a stereotypical Southern Belle ditzy girl. But Mm -hmm. she just, like, through line to crossroads. She's, like, really good at fixing cars and, like, crawls under that RV and, like, fixes the broken fuel line and... And she's super badass. And in the end, she is one of the survivors because she just steals the RV and runs away when Jason refuses to help her. And he's basically like, fuck all of you. You're all dumb. Film your shitty movie. I'm out of here. <laughs> that was great. The professor is great. I feel like we can talk about the professor a little bit. I'm curious what your thoughts were on him. I liked him. It was hard because his character had a lot of subtlety and he didn't really like have a lot to do on screen but like the times that he did do things it was obviously very impactful you know we know that he was in some kind of war not specifically sure which one so he's got an aversion to the use of guns because of that reason uh and then he takes up using the bow and arrow and he's like an amazing shot like when he says to deb i used to be a steady hand and she's like i think you still are like he did some crazy things that's like some lara croft archery bullshit yeah when he got that bow and arrow and shot deb's little brother in the head pinning him to oh the my wall, god yeah so, yeah uh that's an action shot that's yeah. hard to do man he was interesting to me because on the one hand, like, a lot of these characters are just stereo- They're quickly stereotypes. So you know all the characters very early on. And he's, like, the drunken British prof. Like, he's that stereotypical professor, right? Who's always spouting off wisdoms. And there was, like, a lot of familiar stereotypes in there. Like, even some, some things he's spouting off borderline on, like, cliches. Like, even quotes like, the problem doesn't seem to be that people are waking up dead, but that dead people are waking up. 
It's like certain lines like that could come off a little cheesy. There's definitely an element with Romero that borderlines on camp at a lot of these movies. Um, but I thought the actor did a pretty good job with it. Like you said, he doesn't always have the most to do. He's the one that doesn't have a place he's trying to go to. He's just kind of there for the ride, which doesn't give him the most motivation, really. Mm-hmm. But he was an interesting character, for sure. Yeah, the few times that they asked him about like where his home was, I did kind of find that like his response was like kind of trite yeah where he was like oh it's just a place you know i'm like not tied to anywhere blah 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 i'm just like whatever guy it was just like if i was present for that and i heard him actually say that i probably like would have rolled my eyes or something yeah maybe not to his face but still and be like honestly Uh, i really like the scene where they pull up to um the one town or they're, they're caught off guard by the people from the town um, and it's uh, a group of armed black men who kind of come up across them with guns. And at first your thought is, oh, this is going to probably go badly. But it turns out that they've basically taken over a town where all the rich white people basically just fled. And they decided instead of fleeing, they were going to take back this town and make it their own. Basically saying, like, it's one of those things where, like, during major upheavals, like a zombie pandemic the rules of power change. They're the ones in power here now. They take over the whole town. They run it. They have all the resources. And it just, I really thought that flipping of power structure was pretty interesting. Also, they weren't like villains or anything. Like they gave them supplies to go in their way. Um, They were going to give them just enough to go where they needed to go. But then Deb basically stands up to them and be like, are you just going to kill us then? If we ask for more, like, yes, that seems like a big hassle for you. (laughs) Maybe just give us what we need. But it was really interesting. Yeah, their point of view is like very clearly set out. We've taken steps to protect ourselves and like, you know, we're not going to give up any resources unless we absolutely have to. But then being put in the position of being like, well, you can either help us out or you can kill us. You know, you get that moralistic moment. Well, they were also willing to give them enough gas and weapons and stuff to go where they needed to go. Like, uh, they, they were, it was, I was glad that they weren't like set up as the bad guys because even in something like i've been playing the last of us and there's a very similar situation where the main characters come up to a town and there's people that have fortified it and taken over but they're just like straight up murdering everyone and taking all the resources and like this could so clearly devolve into that but it doesn't and i really appreciated that Mm. especially when we're dealing with a bunch of people of color we don't want them to be a murdering band of thieves, maybe, while our white saver children uh, are persecuted. Yeah, I also appreciated that, like, we got to see, you know, a large amount of, like, POC characters on screen, and that, like, for the most part, they didn't die. Like, there is one man in their little um, encampment, I'm gonna say, who does become zombified, and they accidentally kill somebody that's not the right guy. So there's a couple, but, like... For the most part, you know, that's it. But also that's because the main cast of characters is white and they don't really interact with anybody else throughout the whole movie. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that this movie basically ends in cameras looking at cameras looking at screens. Because after Jason dies, they've got the two cameras and then they're in the safe house at Ridley's parents' house where it's Mm -hmm. just a bank of screens for all of the security cameras and they're basically like recording the cameras to record what's happening at the house. So it's just a compounding effect of like screen on screen on screen recording 
the layers of that. So I just thought that was an interesting way to end the movie, considering it was such a major through yeah. line for the movie. Well, the movie actually, I thought that would have been a better ending point personally, but we do get one little thing after that, that we'll talk about maybe in stuff that didn't work so well for me. But I agree that I really liked how they played with a lot of the idea of the cameras, even splicing in a lot of security footage through this was really good too like when they're in the house at the mm-hmm. end which i really like the whole big ending climactic scenes at ridley's house where they show up there ridley has video messaging them early on saying hey we made it to the house uh, it's super secure come over here it's great it's in the middle of nowhere and really fortified so they show up there and ridley is acting really strange the door has been left open He's very drunk, the gate's open, and it's very unclear at first what has happened. And he's not in his right mind, and they keep asking questions like, where's Francine? Like, Francine came here with you, where are your parents? And he's constantly like, oh, they're just out back. They're just out back. And it's very clear that something has gone wrong. And slowly he kind of is, he lets them in on what has happened, and essentially... One of them got bit, wasn't it? Or one of them died? His father died first. Yeah. Ended up biting everyone else, including their servants and yeah, uh, the wife and Francine, the friend that showed up. And he managed to get them all into the pool, but they're all still alive. So they're all just kind of zombies wandering around at the bottom of this pool. And it was like a really like, oh my God, scene when we finally see what's happened to all of them. And Ridley's clearly not in his right mind. And he's also been bit, uh, which is when we get Ridley turning, chasing Tracy in the woods, ends up biting and killing Elliot, who doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, sadly, but uh, he's just kind of the nerdy one. But he gets bit, uh, which we only see through the security footage, which was, I thought was pretty good, where Elliot's like taking uh, a bath and like drying his hair. And then we see slowly as Ridley sneaks up on him and kills him. And then everything kind of escalates from there and... Yeah, and like you said, it ends with all of them with a. Uh, it's with Tony. Is Tony alive at the end? I forget. Yeah, Tony's alive at the end. Yeah, Tony, Deb, and the Professor all locked away in this little room, presumably also dead after Deb uploads this footage because they're completely surrounded, which I thought was very effective. Do you have any other things you wanted to mention in this section? I think we touched on a bunch of things. I have like some just kind of not things that I liked, but just random notes that are kind of silly and stupid about things that happen that we don't necessarily need to talk about. I really liked how we saw on the footage at the end, there was a UPS zombie carrying around his clipboard. It was real fun. (laughs) I like zombies dressed in work outfits still holding their work things. That's like a whole thing in these movies, and I love it. Even in death, delivery drivers are not free from meeting their quotas. Yes. Uh, Let's talk about some things that didn't work for us, then. Let's do it. I just want to touch on, since I just brought it up, the last scene of the movie we get is not what we talked about it ending on, where we're seeing footage through footage of footage, or the camera, 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 of all these zombies wandering around this house. Mm -hmm. But... We cut to voiceover from Deb, like, oh, I found this footage, also other footage on the internet that I'm going to splice in here at the end, showing a bunch of hillbillies capturing zombies, hanging them up and using them as shooting practice, and like, oh, this is what the world's become and stuff, and I was like, I thought that wasn't necessary, uh, especially because that footage was like weirdly professionally shot looking, and 
really kind of took me out of everything we just seen to like cut to this scene of hillbilly shooting zombies. And it was like, I don't know, like you could have just ended or ending on the scene of Jason even because we get Jason's introduction at the very end, which like we were saying, I thought was really good where we get a, f- a little scene that at some point Jason has filmed of himself where he's like propped the camera up and he's given his little, like, my name's Jason. This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Little monologue. I'm like, that would have been really good for our final scene. So I was like, okay, well you took it one step too far. We don't need to see hillbillies literally shooting this zombie and it's like head still being alive because they shot its body or whatever. I don't know. It was weird for me. They didn't shoot the brain, that's why. Yeah, like, well, they, it's hanging by, like, a noose, and they shoot its mouth, and then all of its body, except for its upper half of its head, falls off, and it's still, like, moving around, and, like, that's the last thing we see. Yeah. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. They do touch on the evacuation of larger cities, but, like, they're leaving Pittsburgh. Like, they go to University of Pittsburgh, and they have, like, no problem getting out of town. They never run into any traffic at all. Like, it's... They have no problem like getting to anybody's house in a decent amount of time yeah. so it's just like i it's always really they weird mentioned a few times it's like oh traffic's really bad and but we're in the suburbs and it's okay but like i assume they were maybe it's because we don't know where they started where they were filming this they were probably in a suburb outside of pittsburgh filming their movie and that's why they didn't have to go through but they went to the hospital and the dorm room yeah, it's, they go to yeah. the university to pick up dead. Yeah, that's so, true. Like, it's they. There's not a lot of I. I chalk a lot of it up to this is a very low budget movie, and they didn't have a lot of like zombie extras in this movie. There weren't hordes of zombies. There wasn't like five hundred on fire, tipped over cars on the highway that they were trying to swerve between. It wasn't that kind of zombie movie. But maybe they could have picked a little bit of a better reasoning where they didn't have to go into the middle of Pittsburgh so that it would have made more sense. Because I was thinking all that, too. It would have been perfectly fine for them to explain that by just having their trip take longer. Like, we find out that the morning after they wake up, it's October 25th. And I think it's only, like, October 26th when the movie ends. Yeah. So, like, only 24 hours has passed. I mean, you could certainly have made it look like they ran into traffic or they had more difficulty just by extending the period of time in which it happened. Because it seems like this outbreak and everything happens in such an escalated amount of time. It's, well, it's it's one of the zombie plagues that is supposedly going to spread the quickest because it's not, like a bite infection zombie plague it's a uh, air-based anyone everyone in the world essentially now is infected as soon as someone dies regardless of any cause they're infected so everyone is having heart attacks who's getting shot everyone is getting infected at this point so like the rapid spread which almost makes it weirder that there's not more people fleeing and more yeah, chaos yeah that's the thing is you know like if it's really as bad as it's supposed to be then there should have been more people sort of panic fleeing. There should have been, I mean, yeah. we see in zombie movies all the time, like highways just filled with empty cars that are all backed up. So they definitely totally. should have like run into that more. Um, they, and their journey shouldn't have been as easy. It seemed largely budgetary constrained, but they either needed to maybe 
show a little bit more or write around it a little bit better, I think. Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily need it to see it on screen, but at least if yeah. you're showing me sort of the progression of their journey with, like, the time code it on the film. Weird in a movie where they're filming everything to not film them doing that, though. Like, it's hard to show things off screen in a movie where you're That's literally true. the point is filming everything. Yeah. But still, I mean, even just, like, yeah. the time code on the film, you know, like, show yeah. more time passing. And, I mean, for they went all over the place. So, for them to go from, like, the center of Pittsburgh to all of these different places in, like, 24 hours. Yeah. And then spend, like, a reasonable amount of time in these places on top of it just seemed kind of unrealistic to me. But I'm not familiar with that part of the United States, so what the heck do I know? Yeah. I could buy when they were out in uh, Amish country, not running into a lot of traffic, but it was, uh, maybe could have used a little more explanation. Uh, for me, I think some of the acting in this, a little bit of it took away from kind of the found footage, steady cam shot, this is all real aspect of it. I didn't necessarily think anyone was bad, but there were moments where people were a little bit cliched or a little bit playing into stereotypes or a little bit student film acting for a lack of a better term in a movie where people are supposed to be acting in a student film. Some of the acting in the actual movie maybe came across a little bit that way to me. I just found occasional moments where like it took me out a little bit, maybe more specifically with the professor, a little bit with Elliot, a little bit with Tony and even Deb who I loved Deb, but I felt like she was kind of acting as like a screen queen at points. She was, she gave me a little bit of, like, Halloween vibes of, like, Jamie Lee Curtis at times. I did find that she came across as, like, overly earnest in some parts yeah, of the movie. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Like, overly earnest, for sure. And for me, in a movie that's supposed to be, like, this is real. This happened. This is the footage you're seeing of it. Like, we're pretend... We're, like, we're playing this off as real. Like, right? It, that's very important to the, the to this movie. Like, even Deb narrating in the beginning, like, this is real, this has happened, I put music in to scare you for effect, but blah, 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 right? Yeah. So a little bit of that took me out of the movie, but not as much as it would have if, like, it was, I don't know, Halle Berry or someone starring in this movie. I don't know why I went to Halle Berry. Or Jamie Lee Curtis, for example. Hmm. I liked that they cast a bunch of, of new actors in this, because that helped, for sure. My other thing about this movie is that it's October 25th when all of this is happening. And I'm, I know that it's like not supposed to be like a Halloween movie, but like given the proximity to Halloween, I'm surprised that nobody suggests that this is all like some Halloween hoax or a prank or something. Yeah. Like that just that. seems That's like it would be a reasonable explanation that somebody could offer up and might be a way for people to like disregard the severity of the situation. Also considering the fact that it's being downplayed by officials as well so to be like oh yeah it's just like a halloween prank that people are doing oh my god how we not mentioned i'm just seeing this in my notes now but the fact that jason's uploading all of this footage to myspace i just wrote down he's uploading this to myspace what a time to be alive considering they're filming on like <laughs> uh, an actual professional film camera thinking about how good internet upload speeds were back in 2007 and like oh, the compression rate oh, of their yeah. movie like their video quality yeah. and like the time it takes to edit and like how long is this taking to upload to myspace because it's probably not quick i know even yeah. in 2020 times you know people talk about how long it takes for their videos to render when they're uploading them to youtube like imagine 
13 years ago, yeah. you know, how much slower it would be. I, one thing that I would put into the good category, but I'm not sure if everyone appreciated it, was that a lot of the film, like the how this movie is put together, very much seems like someone just went into iMovie and put this all together, which is clearly the point of the movie, because Deb is editing this in canon of the movie. So all like the iMovie transitions and everything, and the spliced in footage, like a lot of that, and even seeing her like edit on iMovie at one point, or I think we see Jason do it, like, I loved all that. It definitely, like this movie doesn't have like a ton of polish to it in that way, but seeing as that's the point of the movie it like really worked for me i would be very interested to have you watch all the rest of these and see what you think about i them. feel like i have seen Wildly dawn of Range. the dead but i am not sure you've probably seen the zack snyder i dawn think of so dead, yes which is the one everyone has seen yeah the actual dawn of the dead from the 70s is really good it's all about consumerism and that was like at the height of malls uh like of like shopping centers and shopping malls like exploding everywhere so it's this whole kind of zombie lens looking at consumerism Mm -hmm. which is really interesting but i also like this accident remake i know we didn't mention much about when they go to deb's house and deb's like okay uh where where are my parents they should they should be here uh i got a text from them and they were driving back and they should have beat us here and uh, they're kind of frantically searching through the house. They find the car in the garage, and there's like a window that's been smashed in with blood, and and like the pure panic is setting in. And Tony's trying to calm her down, and and we all kind of know what's coming. But I, I found that whole scene very effective and emotional and moving. Very telling that Tony is the one doing all the calming down, while Jason just films her completely freaking yeah. out, and they're supposed to be in a relationship. Uh, I also wrote some notes down that I really liked uh, the idea that I think it's Deb says it at one point, like seeing things from a lens, you become a mean, how true that is. And that's one thing I think this movie really tries to do and does somewhat successfully is kind of removing that lens, at least the lens of I'm watching a movie because this is trying to get you to think I'm watching something that happened or I'm like, I'm watching this immediate it's more immediate, it's more real, because it's steady cam. it's film, you're being told that it's all real, versus, like, these sweeping wide shots of hordes of zombies, and, like, all the stuff that makes you really aware you're watching, like, a filmed zombie mm-hmm. movie. And especially in 2020, seeing things from a lens, you become immune, it's definitely yeah. true. Yeah, there were a lot of, like, very meta-filmmaking kind of things. Like, I yeah. am thinking specifically when they get to Ridley's parents' house, and Jason is inside, and Deb is, like, or maybe it's Tracy who says it, and she goes, okay, let's go in. And Jason goes, oh, wait, I want to get a shot of this. And then we get, like, yeah. the camera's pointed at the ground as he finds, like, the right place. And then we get, like, sort of the cinematically framed shot of, like, everybody coming yeah, in from for there. Sure. Uh, also not a scene that I thought, like, good or bad really i just made a note down towards the end where i think it's when deb decides she's going to actually finish jason's picture we see like this dimly backlit shot of just her on like a big ass chair like swirled around and you can just see her hair and her hand as she's got like a lit cigarette it's very like noir-esque and then she like spins around with her cigarette in her hand and like looks into the camera and goes i'm gonna finish this movie and it's like, I loved it. It was not like something that really kept me in the movie, to be honest. It was real weird. But just the visual of it and how Deb is like so, like you said, 
this like earnest kind of like weird affectation she almost has going on too. And she's so in it. And I don't know. I loved it. <laughs> so what would you give this movie on our scale? Is this perfect as is? Could you use some ketchup or would you douse it? This is another perfect as is for me. I thought that it was a pretty solid movie. Moved really quick. I thought that most of the characters felt pretty real, very human throughout the whole thing. There's like a, a few small things, like we said, but that's obviously due to budget more than anything. Yeah, I enjoyed myself. Yeah, I would give this movie a perfect as as well. It's what it set out to do, a short, fast-moving, steady cam film zombie movie that really tries to tackle a few social issues in there as well. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, one of my favorites of the Romeros. Yeah, I can see it getting a low rating if you're looking for like a movie where you get lots of zombie kills and like yeah. jump scares and stuff like that. It's really not that kind of movie, but I think it's like a solid story. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time when we catch up on Friday the 13th and Carrie. Consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find our show. Your review may land you a shout out in a future episode. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Movie Catch Up Pod for episode updates and other news.